This episode of the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast is sponsored by Espresso Parts. Espresso Parts has supplied cafe owners, baristas, and home brewers with everything that they needed to up their coffee game since 1993. They've got thousands of products from hundreds of the top coffee brands. No matter what you're looking for, they probably have it in stock. They've got amazing customer service, free shipping on all parts, and oh, by the way, if you don't like a product, ship it back for 365 days absolutely free. It's just crazy amazing. IBMOC5 is the discount code that you'll use at checkout to receive 5% off your purchase. Big, giant thanks to Espresso Parts for supporting the show. Hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning into the Ivor My Own Coffee podcast. We're the podcast for people who care about coffee. This is episode 58, and I'm your host, Brian Sheely. Joining me today, as always, is the man who needs no introduction. He's been on more podcasts than he probably has chocolate bars in the house. Mr. Brian Bikey. Hello, Brian. It's a true fact. Hello. <laughs> yeah, big uh, big shout out to uh, Keys to the Shop and uh, for uh, having you on the show recently. Talking yeah, about it was a, lot of, a lot of fun. Cacao. That's right. Yeah. I know, I know someone else who recently was asking me about chocolate bars and you know what i would love to get them on the show we are super excited to have our next guest on the show he's the man who needs no introduction but we're going to give him one anyway he's the founder of barista hustle he's a partner at sensory lab in melbourne australia he's no stranger to the world coffee competition scene as he won the world brewers cup in 2012 placed second and third in the world barista championships and in 2014 took home the big giant w in the coffee and good spirits world championships he is the man the myth the perger mr matt perger welcome to the show matt hey thanks brian <laughs> thanks for having me yeah it's awesome i might just actually go i'm gonna go plurals from now on hey brian's yes for having me. that That's, works yeah, great that works a Good. lot yeah um so it's 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. your time? 10 a.m. Yeah, so we're, we're like rolling at the end of our evening right now. And uh, it always feels like you Australians are in the future. Does it, you ever feel future? It's going to be a delicious Thursday morning. When you that's, get why the, that's why the coffee's better there, right? <laughs> the service is better. They're newer. Aren't we, aren't we older? Mm. Slightly. <laughs> wow. Blowing my mind already. Um, yeah. <laughs> here we go. Uh, so we like to start off the episodes by talking about some of the coffees that we've been brewing, and we didn't really talk about this uh, ahead of time, but can we put you on the spot and ask you uh, what you've been brewing, Matt? Yeah, well, I haven't been brewing much personally myself. Uh, I've been enjoying coffee from St. Ali every day uh, as uh, I've just moved into an office for um, Barista Hustle just around the corner from St. Ali. So I've just been heading over there and drinking um, it's Costa Rica town over there at the moment, so I'm literally sipping on uh, Genesis, Costa Rica Genesis. It's a little a beautiful farm from Central Valley. So that's what I've been brewing, inverted commas. It, what, what's your preferred method, I suppose, for, for that Genesis? Uh, this one's just going through the batch brewer at St. Ali, nice. Um, nice and regularly. So I can, I can head over and fill up the mug whenever I feel like it, which is nice. Fancy. Yeah, super fancy. What are you guys brewing? Uh, so, yeah, I've been um, enjoying the Onyx Coffee Lab uh, Columbia El Abraje Geisha recently. Um, fancy. Yeah, super fancy. Uh, I've had it from a ton of roasters recently, and uh, theirs is just awesome. 
and they were selling the full 12 ounce bags of it which was cool like no, normally you get a geisha and it's like a little little sample like four or eight ounce bag but full, full 12 ounces of this one it's been crazy good uh we brewed it up on the chemex actually this morning for our whole office we had people like blowing their minds about it so a lot of tropical fruit uh tea like really good just enjoyed it a lot uh jasmine fruity floral the whole nine so delicious yep brian uh so i right now i can't get over this um mexico chapas roasted by oh tim windelbow that guy it's it's just the it's just been on my mind so my my friend charles he owns uh poor cleveland i saw him post about this it, it just it, I, I had to take a double take just i'm I don't know if Tim Winnebo's ever had uh, coffee from Mexico before, but it, it just kind of sh- struck me as something unusual to see from him. So I knew that it had to be a really well-tended lot. I was real excited to try it. Immediately had him get a bag in the mail to me and have him brewing that up uh, via his parameters on V60. And it's 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 been really fun to just give to several people around the office or the cafe and just ask their opinions of it. Uh, it's not uncommon for people to think that it's an East African coffee or like uh, uh, something with those qualities because it's got a lot of um, delicate stone fruit and some nice berry fruitiness, but then a lot of some citrus going on too. So just a just a really delicious coffee. I can't. It's kind of hard to to put into words, but it's it's definitely the best washed. Mexico I've had and one of the one of the better coffees I've had in recent memory. That's pretty unique. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for being with us on the show. This is crazy exciting. Um I'm not even Well, I know how I know how we we got in touch with you, which was through Michelle, who's just one uh, of my Michelle. favorite people in the whole world. <laughs> you guys seem like you have a fun relationship. That's good. I yeah, we try to keep it fun. Um I I try to keep professional things as fun as possible. Um, yeah, when it's, when it's in the in group. Otherwise, it's real boring, real quick. So, speaking of professional, uh, clearly you're probably one of the top names in coffee, at least that we've ever had on the show. So, yeah, we're we're excited to talk to you. For That's those cool. people nice. who are listening to the show who don't even know who you are, um, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but can you kind of walk us through like where you started in coffee? Like, what even got you into coffee in the first place, and then kind of lead us all the way up to where you're at today okay cool it, the the abridged version uh, sure why not yeah yeah cool so uh, <laughs> when, when i was in high school i um uh i worked at a, a cafe that was awful and it was uh, the only reason i got a job there was because my sister uh was working there and it was at uh, a museum for a famous australian cricketer and it was called Stumps Cafe, and we put little um, jaffers on the spoons next to the coffees, like little cricket balls. That this is the level of my first <laughs> coffee job, uh, and the coffee was terrible. It was so bad, and I was I hated coffee at the time because it was terrible, and I was always wondering why people were drinking it. So, you know, you start hunting things out. You start going to courses. Uh, I went to a couple of courses by Scotty Callahan when he sort of came by because he was nearby up in Sydney. I started visiting Sydney and doing coffee crawls of the cafes that were um, the best at the time and sort of started falling in love with coffee because I had some really good ones and finally started to see the potential. 
So the you know the, the espresso that really kicked it off for me was at a, a cafe called Single Origin in Sydney, and this was back when the owners of that company were still behind the espresso machine. I think it was Dion that actually made me that espresso, and uh, that kicked it off. So then I, I uh, my friend who I was working in cafes with dared me to do a barista competition. Uh, so I did the, the regional competition and I put espressos on top of the machine, um, which if anyone knows the rule book for that competition, that's a big no-no. You get zeros on the entire um, set technical score sheet. So I bottomed out, came pretty much last, uh, but really enjoyed it. And a guy there, uh, Russell Beard, noticed that I was competing and passionate and he offered me a job at his cafe uh, in Mossman, a suburb of Sydney. And... He put me up in a hotel until I could find a house. He, you know, gave me full-time work there and they kicked my ass uh, until I could make coffee at the level that that cafe needed. And this was, you know, one of the best cafes in Sydney at the time, one of the busiest cafes in Sydney. And I learned how to make coffee real quick. And that was the sort of year after high school for me. So I also did the typical Australian thing where you do a backpacking trip around Europe uh, before you go to university. So at the time, I was enrolled in industrial design um, at a university. I'd also dabbled in um, music courses, like maybe a, a Bachelor of Music um, jazz drumming. I was a semi-professional jazz drummer at the time. Uh, so I had a few options for university. So I traveled over to Europe. I emailed 10 roasteries and I emailed 10 industrial design um, workshops or designers companies. And I said, hey, I'm literally nobody. I'm no one. And I would love to come and say hi. And I got 10, e I got 10 emails back and they were all from the coffee people. And I thought, hey, these coffee people are pretty nice compared to uh, <laughs> these industrial designers who seem to have their heads up their asses. And, you know, the, these people were like, we'll pick you up from the airport. We'll, you know, meet you in the city. You can stay on our couch. Let's go out and have dinner. Uh, and I was, I was no one. I had done one regional barista competition. I was a barista who'd been working for six months in specialty. And, you know, I was staying on um, Anne and Charles's couch in um, Helsingborg. Uh, I was, uh, I, I went and saw the Tims when Tim Varney was back at Tim Wendelbo. Um, they took care of me in Oslo. Uh, and also Bjorna Hafslund came and found me when I was lost in Oslo. He was a roaster for Kaffa. So all these wonderful people around Europe taking care of me. And I was like, well, okay, this is the industry. So I, uh, you know, declined all of the university um, positions and came back and just got straight into coffee, competed in another competition and came first in that regional, uh, straight after that uh, and going to the Australians uh, and competing there as well in the barista competition, I moved to Melbourne because everyone was saying Melbourne this, Melbourne that, blah, blah, blah. And I'd never really been to Melbourne for coffee. Came down, was blown away applied for a position at Market Lane. And uh, if either of you know Jenny Bryant, mm -hmm. um, she, she's, she's a, a stalwart of the specialty industry, um, especially the sort of seminal days in New York. So she had moved over to uh, Melbourne, uh, but she had to, and she was working at Market Lane in a pretty pivotal position, but she had, she had to leave back to the States very quickly. So I slipped into her position at Market Lane Coffee, which was perfect timing and learned how to cup, learned how to make even better coffee than I could before, uh, much higher level of quality. Uh, if anyone doesn't know Market Lane, they're one of the best kept 
uh, I think brands in specialty coffee. They're so tight in terms of branding and um, voice and their communications and things like that. Beautiful brand if you're doing research and trying to set your own thing up. And I uh, worked for them for about nine months, I think, to a year. And then I started um, roasting at Axel Coffee Roasters and I built Axel Coffee Roasters with David and Zoe. Uh, was painting the walls, was, you know, standing underneath David as he was like showering welding sparks everywhere. Um, you know, learned how to build a cafe, which was amazing. And then David uh, helped, and Zoe helped train me to do much better at barista competitions. And I managed to come third in the world under them uh, in Bogota, Colombia, which was amazing. I had no idea that I was going to do that well. Uh, and then uh, I moved on from there to St. Ali, which is uh, sort of where I still am today. So um, after Axel, I came to St. Ali and sort of have had every position in the company uh, except CEO uh, over the years. You know, moved all the way through from managing a bar to um, planning and opening our new bars to um, sort of being the, the director of coffee, for lack of a better term, uh, to roasting, to being our green buyer for a while, and just sort of putting in systems in each of those spots as I went along. And then after a while, I was sort of started to get really, really hungry to do my own thing. Um, because working on the bar, for me, is it's fun and it's, it's a cool job, but I need to have a new problem every day or I get very um, frustrated. So I said, hey, Sal, Sal's the owner of Senali. I would love more upside. I want to do my own thing, but I don't want to leave. What can we do? And he said, okay, I'll fund you to run your own company, whatever it is. Uh, we'll go 50-50 and you know, I'll pay your salary and any expenses you have for the first few years until you're profitable. How about that? I said, yes. And then Barista Hustle was born. And two and a bit years later, here we are. Wow. Yeah. So there was a lot of trust in that one. I was like, I want to do a thing. And he said, cool. And I went and did it. So, and you've, you've competed, not, not just in the barista competition, obviously, but as we sort of mentioned, like uh, almost every competition possible on the world scene, right? I haven't, haven't done cupping. Cupping, uh, right. I'd love yeah. to go back and do cupping. And yeah, so uh, I'm the world champion at the Brewers' Cup and also the Coffee and Good Spirits. Coffee and Good Spirits is so much fun. I would highly recommend that competition to anyone wanting to learn how to compete. That wasn't in U.S. last year, but I thought it was supposed to be coming this year. Or do I have coming. that wrong? Yeah. I really hope. Oh, man. I really it's hope so much more fun than barista competition. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Oh. <laughs> and the training sessions are so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested in the very beginning. You mentioned something, but I, I feel like um, part of the direction I've seen your language with barista hustle go Um kind of ties into what you talked about with your journey and when you were first getting started, when you got those 10 responses back and how um, open the people were that you, that you had connections with in coffee. Can you, can you talk more about that? And, and if that, I would assume that parallels into kind of where you all are right now um, as a company. Cause it just seems like those, those are things that have kind of impacted um what you think about either inc inclusivity or just acceptance of people in coffee now? I mean, is that is that accurate? I've been on the receiving end of so many favors. 
over the years uh, of roasters and people who helped me with barista competitions or work or tips and tricks or mentorship. And I, when we've been doing barista hustle, I've been blown away by the amount of value that can be generated uh, with the internet for other people. So we put in a little bit of effort on one end and then some crazy multiplier gets added to it and then hundreds of thousands of people benefit from it. And uh, I enjoy things that have leverage like that a lot. And uh, when we deliver that value to all of these people, whether it's with information or inclusivity or, or various things like that, that value comes back with another multiplier as well for us um, as a business and as just people. Uh, we, we meet so many more people, we make so many more connections. Uh, it's just a big snowball that has been growing and rolling since day one of um, Barista Hustle. And I think that uh, I've sort of come over two humps recently. The first hump was solo entrepreneur um, to having employees. Uh, and then the second hump was, can Matt um, give up his baby and delegate correctly? Um, and we've, <laughs> we've, we've, we've gone over those two humps thanks to um, Michael and Michelle, um, who, who are both um, obviously working with uh, and for me. And uh, now that we're over those two humps, we can really dial the knob up in terms of delivering value to the audience. So I've, I've been you know, head down, bum up, focusing on making this thing profitable for the last year um, with you know, the subscription, which has been a blessing and a curse, and with uh, you know, products and developing a supply chain and you know, figuring out logistics to 52 countries. That meant that the value that I was generating for the audience was a bit lower for a while. Um, and anyone following along, thanks for staying on, you know, um, and following along for that time. We were kind of um, running on the fumes of the articles that we'd been, that I'd been releasing, you know, earlier. And now that we're through that, we can start really ramping up the content, helping people out. And uh, when Michael came on board, we sat down and we thought, what, is, what are we actually doing here? And the sort of the slogan that we came up with, I guess, was help the world make better coffee. And every time we think back to, okay, how can we help them? How can we do this to help the world make better coffee? How can we leverage this opportunity to help the world make better coffee? Uh, when we ask that question, the right things happen, the right people come in, people enjoy it. Uh, they, you know, they get something out of it and this snowball just goes even faster and faster. So I think that, that little phrase, help the world make better coffee, was probably the, the most important thing to happen in terms of what you're talking about there, Brian. Right. So just as a, as a quick side note, um, does one's name have to begin with the letter M to work for Barista Hustle? Or like, yes. are like B's, <laughs> like maybe in? No. No, okay. yeah. M's. All right. Yeah. Okay, well. Brian's, so, Brian's applying for a job. Yeah, I was just, I was just curious, you know. And, and for a while on social media, we were, you know how businesses will comment and then they'll have like, they'll do a little um, dash and then the, um, the letter of the name of the person mm -hmm. who was commenting to, to help it make sense. We tried that for a minute and then realized that everyone was just finishing with M. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they were commenting and it was just becoming even more confusing. So. All right. So, so you're clearly extraordinarily busy, obviously, as you've, as you mentioned, just a little bit about some of the stuff that you guys are involved in. Um, and you just mentioned, obviously, getting a brand new space for Barista Hustle, which is awesome. 
Uh, but what does your day look like? Like, what are you, what are you up to every day? Um, and how does coffee kind of fit into that day? Uh, at the moment, I am 99% barista hustle focused, which is really cool because uh, I'm really enjoying it and we're doing some fun projects. So uh, we have a space. We've just leased a workshop lab office kind of space. It's pretty small. It's like 30 or 40 square meters. So enough room for maybe like eight seats and um, maybe like four workbenches and some shelves and stuff. But that's enough for now because we're still really small. So a day for me at the moment is coming in here and uh, we've, you know, tore it apart a little bit this week. We've put in some furniture. We're getting some stuff made up. Uh, I'm pretty excited uh, to sort of get in here and start doing stuff because I've never really had a space before. Barista Hustle's always been me sitting in a cafe, um, you know, being a, a nomad. And now I feel like I'm nesting. Uh, you know, went to Ikea yesterday, bought some chairs. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's where uh, you go when you yeah. need a nest is Ikea. That, that's it. That's it. And, you know, it felt, felt really uh, sort of startup-y vibes, you know, building the office. And uh, so at the moment, I'm just putting this together. I'm trying to turn it into a space where we can, you know, a bit of light fabrication meets prototyping meets uh, coffee tasting lab meets office um, altogether. Because I, we have some big projects that are coming up that will require some more space and a lot more um, uh, engineering and prototyping sort of things, uh, which we can talk about if you wish, because uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, so, you know, at the moment we're just sort of managing these products that we already have out there, like the subscription that we're selling. It's going really well. It's just chugging along every month, sending out, you know, I think 50 countries, eight or wow. 900 bags of coffee to 50 countries every month. Uh, that's great. That's and that's on the, super, the superlatives subscription. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's called superlatives. Uh, so a different roastery every month. So it's a new logistical challenge to get that to our Hong Kong distribution center and then to all those countries every month. But we're kind of, we've got the ropes of that now. That's working well. So we learned how to do coffee to every country, you know, or, you know, a quarter of the world's countries every month. That was a bit of a learning curve. We've learned how to get stuff manufactured in China, uh, AKA the Tampas and keep the quality super high. Uh, that's been a mad uh, learning curve. Not as easy as you think, uh, .com. And uh, we're learning how to do, we learned how to do a bit of e-commerce, you know, we learned how to do the social media. So we've been learning all of these like basic uh, internet coffee related skills uh, over the last year or so. And we're sort of finding our feet with those uh, day to day, slowly releasing some new products. We've got some, uh, next is Milk Jugs, we're doing Milk Jugs next. Which is really exciting. Oh yeah! So we're in the thick, we're in the thick of making milk jugs that will a last a lifetime, b are laser straight, which has never happened before in the world of milk jugs. I think like it's my biggest gripe with milk jugs. Uh, so we've got a lot of samples of different milk jugs, different spouts, different handles, different laser welding or spot welding kind of stuff. We've got all kinds of samples going on. Uh, we're trying to. Frankenstein, the perfect milk jug, uh, and you know, like different coatings that don't come off, 
We're just trying to build the milk jug to finish milk jugs. Is that the prototyping you're talking about, or is there something else well, I, on the horizon? So that's so these are these are pretty simple products. These are like you know these are things that exist already, and we're just sort of tweaking them to make a better version that's more suited to what what I believe baristas need from my experience. Uh, so so these these are like basic sort of products, but then on the horizon is what I've been sort of working towards for the last year or so, which is, uh, as we've been talking about um, inclusivity and um, availability and uh, making really, really good coffee easier. So like the subscription was making coffee easier for people because we've got all these customers in you know, Rwanda, Uganda, Turkey, Chile that don't have access to good coffee. Now they have access to good coffee. Great. Uh, tick that box, but I want to blow that up a bit more. I want I want anyone to be able to have an exceptionally good cup of coffee, and I don't want them to spend hundreds of dollars to get the equipment, and I don't want them to have to spend fifty dollars to get it shipped to them fresh. So the plan is, uh, or sorry, the uh, the end goal is I want my grandma if she lived anywhere in the world to be able to make a better cup of coffee than I can without any training, affordably. So it's kind of like, we want everything to happen at once. And as it turns out, this isn't impossible. It's actually pretty possible for us to develop a product where anyone anywhere in the world can affordably make a cup of coffee better than the best cafe in the world can currently make one, which sounds ridiculous. It sounds enticing is what it sounds like. It it sounds enticing and it sounds ridiculous, but we're not inventing anything new. We're just kind of Frankensteining all of these technologies that already exist in the coffee space and cramming them into one product or one offering, one system, one whatever you want to call it. And uh, I'm pretty sure that there's a big spot, there's a big open space in the market for um, this kind of product. And, you know, when I sell it like that, it's pretty enticing. Um, I could sell it another way. It's, uh, it's a single serve kind of coffee. So yes, it's pre-ground. But if you pre-grind coffee and have a nitrogen flushed grinder, it's like you haven't ground it. If you pre-grind coffee, nitrogen flush it and freeze it as soon as it's done, it's not gonna age a minute. So once you've done, once you have the, the facility to grind coffee under nitrogen, package it into a single serve format, not a Nespresso shaped pod. I hate those pods or capsules <laughs> or whatever you want to call them. Six grams of coffee is never going to make something delicious and um, satisfying. So that's not what I'm doing. I'm not just putting coffee in Nespresso capsules. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, ju- they're just not good. Uh, anyway. And they're so wasteful. Anyway. Um, so once, you know, once you go back to first principles, which is what we try to do for, you know, the other products we're building, um, how do we get coffee around the world? Uh, we can't if we, unless we ship with FedEx. Okay. What if we freeze it? Oh, okay, cool. We can get coffee around the world. We just need to nitrogen flush it. Okay. So if we grind it, nitrogen flush it, freeze it, single serve it, weigh it out, put it into these um, pods, not espresso pods. Um, that means that we can ship coffee on a boat rather than shipping it in a plane and that means that it's one-tenth the cost, even if we're freezing it. So then that, that ticks the boxes for getting coffee to anyone in the world uh, affordably because we're not paying for air freight. 
And then we need to figure out, okay, but it needs to be better than it is in a cafe. So how do we make that happen? Um, and the answer is a roller mill, which is, uh, if, if you don't know about roller mills, it's a $3 million-ish grinder uh, that you would have in a factory like Nestle or Nespresso or something like that. This is, this is what the big kids use to grind coffee. And it grinds coffee so much better than any grinder that you could have in a cafe, EK43 or whatever. So in, with, with a system like this, we're actually able to have a coffee that's ground better, which at the end means a better extraction, um, than any cafe can produce unless they have a $3 million grinder out the back. And we can get it anywhere in the world affordably and it hasn't deteriorated a day since it's been roasted. Um, then all we need to do is figure out how people are gonna add hot water to it. At the moment, what we're putting together is a portafilter. So anyone who has a regular espresso machine Ooh. will be able to uh, just buy a portafilter rather than buying a whole machine again. You know, we figure anyone who has an espresso machine is probably a, a mark, you know, in the market for this. Um, they're sick of cleaning up their counter from the grinder. So we're building a portafilter that'll hold these pods, uh, be made specifically for them that you can put into any regular group head. So that'll kind of be our first step because we're bootstrapped. We're not, you know, we don't have millions of dollars. We need to do a simple product first to sort of prove that this will work. And that porta filter that will fit these pots is going to be the number one. And then later on, we're going to make a really affordable brewer for homes that will also fit the pods in as well. That's where the, that's where your grandma will be able to make it, right? I imagine your grandma doesn't have an espresso machine at home. No, she doesn't have anything. Okay. She has a plunger or something. But with a plunger, you're not going to make, uh, you're not going to get as high an extraction as you can with something that uh, involves uh, per like percolation, you know, pushing sure. water through through grinds. Sure. So, if you want to get 26% extractions, which is what you can get with roller mill, uh, 26-27%, you need to push. You need pressure. So uh, we're going to build a, a simple as hell home brewing machine. You know, like no pumps, nothing uh, that sort of is dialed in for this form factor. It's dialed in for the coffees. We're gonna roast the coffees so that they suit that brewer, suit that grind size. You know, the, the whole system's gonna be built so that these, it's all, all the difficulty, all the complexity is at the back end with us. And then all the simplicity, all the easy stuff happens uh, at the end with my grandma. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story. The reason I use my grandma as the example for this <laughs> is because um, she, we, we, we went over to her house. Uh, she lives up, up near Sydney. And she was like, um, Matt, I've, I've got to talk to you about these bloody Nespresso things. They're awful. <laughs> and I was like, oh, grandma, what, why are you buying Nespresso capsule? And she was like, it was rubbish. It took me 20 minutes to open it. It was so fiddly. And then I put it in my mug and added the hot water to it. And there are all these little bits, all these bloody bits in the bottom. None of it, none of it dissolved. It was rubbish. And I threw them out. And I was like, oh, grandma. Like, I didn't even bother to explain. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, grandma, it's rubbish. They're awful. Um, don't worry about that silly Nespresso stuff. We'll fix it up for you. So I was like, I was like obviously, <laughs> that's an, ex an ex possibly extreme example of um, you know, making coffee at home, but it needs to be that simple. We can't rely on people to use scales. We can't rely on people to buy uh, hundreds of dollars worth of grinder and understand brew ratios and understand. We just 
If we want 10 times more people to enjoy really good quality coffee, it needs to be more than 10 times easier to do it. You know, all of, all of the brewing guides, like just Google image search brewing guide and like you have uh, epileptic fit looking at all of the <laughs> guides that every, every coffee roastery, um, I'm sorry if that was offensive to um, epileptic sufferers. Um, you, you, you just, it freaks me out that everyone has all these brewing guides and they have that little retail section in their cafe with hand grinders and scales and kettles and all this bullshit. And we're, we're just not selling enough coffee to make this specialty thing work yet. We need to make it easier. And this is my, this is my sort of push, um, this project that we're working on uh, to get there. I, I wanna get to that point where we're selling 10 times more really delicious coffee that's being made deliciously. So like, don't get me started on the discrepancy between um, how good we'll say the coffee will be and how good it is when someone actually brews it at home. Because, you know, unless you're dedicated, the coffee you make at home is never any good. It needs to be as good as we're serving in the cafes and it's just not, we're not there. It's not happening. Unless you're a nerd, you know, and there, there will always be nerds. I think of them like the vintage car club you know, like they're, they're, they're always going to have their vintage cars and they love them and that's what they love. But if we want to get the, you know, if we want to branch out and get the regular consumer to enjoy this specialty coffee, it needs to be easy. I find this really, it, this is such an enlightening conversation too, by the way. Just, I mean, like first getting started, even figuring out who you were, you know, I was watching a V6001 recipe that you were that you were fussing over on a video and like your your tutorials on refraction and all these other things and it's like I mean fast forward I would not picture like we need to make coffee easier as like where you eventually decide to go yeah I was, I was speaking with Sally yesterday so he's the, the majority um, shareholder for Senali and essentially my partner in Barista Hustle and he was like Matt, how the hell can you sell tampers, manual tampers to people, but also say that um, super automatic is good, and then you want to go and do pods, which you know you don't need a tamper for. You're doing yourself out of a business. And I said, no, um, people who need tampers need tampers, and they will continue to need tampers. People who um, aren't going to use tampers need pods. Yeah. You know, it's an, an entirely different section of people. And uh, a lot of people have said, Matt, you know, you're so focused on refractometry and getting nerdy about coffee. Um, and then you go and, you know, you're going to go sell your soul and do single serve. I said, no, <laughs> I've just been trying to understand how to make really good coffee so that we can scale it. Yeah. If we, if we didn't, if you don't venture down that road of complexity and understanding the, the nuances and understanding the science, then you can never hope to create a product that is zero compromise absolutely scale. absolutely you'll just be you'll just be flying blind so i i do feel a little bit pied pipery you know continuing the barista hustle blog talking about brew you know making your own water recipes and um you know the, the nth degree of nerdery in terms of coffee while also working on this product but at the same time they're all perfectly it all seems perfectly rational to me at least you know, nothing we're doing is redundant. It's just focused on different, uh, different humans and different levels right. in the and, industry. And pushing the bar like that, then, you know, if you if you come up with something that is 
what your goal is in the end with the results, then it just makes the nerdier all the more nerdier to try and combat that, right? To try and figure out how do how do you achieve that sans this $3 million roller mill, right? Yeah, there will, there will always be the rebellion. I mean, I mean, specialty coffee itself is a rebellion, right? Against yeah. second, second wave or whatever terminology you want to use. Uh, we, we are the rebellion. And for a lot of people, that's a big part of their identity. Uh, and and why, why so many people in specialty will um, spit in disgust when Stumptown sells to um, JAB. Uh, because, the, you know, the people that were on our team rebelling against second wave have become the big kids. And, and, and they're now you know, um, against us in, in our rebellion. So uh, I, I know that there will always be people that will fight against, you know, movements like this. But uh, I, as long as I keep setting my goal, more delicious specialty grade coffee, which uh, to more people, which then, you know, helps the entire industry and moves funds down the chain to farms. Um, because I can sell coffee at a higher margin with pods than someone can as whole bean, which means that I can spend more for my coffee. And if that's not a direct argument for, I can then deliver extra value to producers. Um, you, like you just, then nothing else is, you just can't argue against that. Unless someone's being unscrupulous and just taking all the profit for themselves. Like, of course, there will always be people that do that. Um, but you know, I'm ready for the rebellion. I'm ready for people to, um, uh, be sad about this, um, and uh, bring it. I would love, I would love for cafes to be able to um, have a roller mill level of quality um, in them as well. That would be phenomenal. Someone rolls up on stage in competition with one of those. Excuse me, while I oh, grab my I'm coffee. Totally, I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to use pods in a brewer's cup or something. Oh yeah, because they're not against the rules because they're pre-ground. You just ground it off stage. Pods actually fit into the rules of brewer's cup. As long as you brew it manually without a without a pump. Gotta keep it quiet for now though. That would be awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so you you have been I mean, we we've touched on so many of the little things that you've done along the way. Water recipes, uh, you you had the, the coffee compass and espresso compass that you put together. Um, obviously you have a whole series of products that you've done and, and lots of stuff. Um, so look back on, on all the all the things that you've done up to this point. Like what one product or project or or thing that you did do you look back on as like something that you're super proud of? I think the thing that I'm most proud of, um, which was also the hardest, which probably makes sense, um, was sending an email out every week for like a year and a half. <laughs> as you guys know, keeping a podcast going uh, is a lot of work. You know, yes, consistent effort, but the value that I've generated, you know, the effort that I put into that, to that email uh, for Barista Hustle and the value that's come back is completely disproportionate, more disproportionate than anything else I've ever done in my life. And I think keeping that up and being consistent and giving information and delivering value to people um, in a consistent format like that was probably the best thing that I've ever done. All right. And then what about the thing that you were involved in sometime in the past that you kind of wish like would just sweep under the rug and nobody ever talked about it again? <laughs> um, <laughs> let me think. Uh, 
Man, I really wish I didn't uh, win that Brewers Cup competition with sifting, and I know that you had this in the notes to talk about later, <laughs> so we can fit. Oh it all yeah. In. We yeah, can, yeah, We can fit it all into one old, one big old thing now. Because uh, I just I don't even know anymore, Brian's. I just don't <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> what the silly fines are doing. I don't know why they're there. I don't know if it's better with them or without them. Um, I know that they're important. I know that they're a lot of surface area, but they also don't constitute a lot of mass. Uh, so, you know, what's actually going on? Uh, yeah, I just, I wish I didn't open that can of worms um, at the old Brewers Cup. You will pay for your sins. It, it, worked, out, it worked out pretty well. So um, I'm, not, I'm not complaining by any means. I just, uh, you know, so, so many people... Um, who aren't too familiar with how science works um, uh, try to insult me by saying that I'm always changing my mind um, <laughs> and I actually take that as a compliment um, because it means that I'm open about being wrong and, and that's you know if you're trying to be rational and um, if you're trying to be a good Bayesian operator as they say then or a Bayesian agent then you've got to change your mind when new evidence comes up and Hot damn, I just don't even know what the probabilities are anymore for um, fines or no fines. <laughs> it's so confusing. <laughs> I, I, was, I was almost wondering if you were going to mention something about nutation, but fines, uh, fines work yeah. out for the answer. And do you still nutate? Just, well, just as so just uh, uh, to, to, to make another segue happen for you with um, your, your show notes... Um, this distribution tool debate that we're doing uh, uh, and, and the research that we just crowdfunded, thanks to everyone who chipped in for that. So we're trying to figure out if distribution tools work. And I was sitting on the, um, sitting on the tram this morning coming into work and I was like, maybe, maybe mutation's actually the answer. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe I did it and it worked and then I told everyone that it's not optimal. And I don't think it is optimal when you do it with a tamper like that, with the roundy, roundy, roundy edges thing. Because obviously that's not even from the edge to the middle. Sure. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's like some kind of distribution tool that would do a better job if it mutated. Because I guess mutating is a way to reach maximum density of grinds because you're sort of moving them around and, and jigging them into something that's more compact because they'll tessellate slightly better uh, because coffee is so amorphous. It's, if you just throw it into a basket and tamp it, there's going to be so much friction between those particles that they're not actually going to um, form a bed of maximum density. They're just going to um, get as close as they can and there's going to be empty spaces around them. So um, I, I'm, I'm left wondering whether uh, the optimum distribution tool is actually something that mutates, inverted commas, uh, but does so more consistently th from the inside to the outside of the of the puck. What's uh, what's your impression of the puck press? Great, love it. Happy days. Yep. Yeah. Got a chance to check that out for the first time at Prima Coffee the other day. Was really impressed. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a rack and pinion uh, with a little motor and a tamper. Like it's it's not rocket science. <laughs> I can't believe it's happened this late in the game. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, I love. I them. feel like we're kind of cavemen a little bit here, right? Oh it's man, like, this but, thing, yeah, yeah. it just, ew, and it's and it's tamped. But I guess that's that's the that's the curve of automation, right? You know, the the things that can be automated most easily that will have the biggest economic benefit will be automated first, and that's not making coffee. 
And as all of those more lucrative things have been automated, the eyes of the engineers will turn to things that are you know, uh, approaching the top of that uh, curve of whatever is most lucrative to automate and labor is becoming expensive, so therefore coffee is becoming uh, more enticing to automate. And here we are with tampers. Do you think that in the future you, you guys would do more sort of crowdfunded research projects like this, like you're, like you're doing with the distribution tools? So I, I would love it if Barista Hustle could be at the stage where the equipment sales and the subscription were supporting a team that could just, you know, I would love for our marketing budget to just be research. You know, as an inbound marketing strategy, there's nothing better. Instead of just writing, instead of putting ads on Facebook for things, we just create really good experiments and distribute them for free to people so that they get value from that. And then we're doing good and we're getting eyeballs on our website and therefore eyeballs equals we sell the stuff that we're going to sell. And because we've aligned the stuff that we're selling with uh, the content that we're putting out, i.e. coffee content and coffee tools, pretty close little loop there, uh, it'll work out. And that's how it's kind of worked out so far. Uh, it, the reason that we did some crowdfunding for the, this particular test was because I am known to be a dissenter when it comes to distribution <laughs> tools. And I don't... You blew up Twitter the other day for it. Yeah. And that was, that was a big old silly um, argument, but, you know, and it went nowhere because the, the debate skills of the coffee community are woeful. And I, I, wish, that, I, I, I wish that wasn't so. I, I really wish that we could have had some valuable discourse, but it's Twitter. It's not going to happen. Um, like ad hominem and... Um, uh, two coke arguments just left, right, and center, and I just there was no room for anything valuable. So I'm known as a dissenter for distribution tools. I do not believe that they are doing anything worthwhile, but my opinion doesn't matter. Science matters. So if I, I feel as though if I just did a, a, a test uh, and released it, I feel as though people would uh, look at it and say, well, Matt doesn't believe in them, therefore he designed a test that uh, was unfavorable to them so that he's just pushing his own agenda. Um, that is a very fair opinion to have. Like it's, a, it's a very... Uh, uh, it's something that a lot of people would jump to when they saw, like, Matt Berger does an experiment, he hates distribution tools, the experiment says they don't work. Ah, he probably just created a, a bunk experiment to disprove them. So... What I thought was, we can get this done, we can get it done quickly, and we can have the scrutiny of people who have put money into it, looking over my shoulder as I do it, which is going to make that experiment much more valid in the eyes of the coffee community. Because there's going to be those aligned incentives between the people who funded it and, uh, and us to make sure that it's done well and done accurately. So. Uh, I, I really wanted to make sure that when we did this study, that people didn't just jump to the conclusion that it was that it was really biased and, un and unfair. Well, we're looking forward to the results. Um, do you know when it's going to kick as off? As soon as I jump off this recording with you guys, I'm hopping into CAD and designing the little tool that we've sort of thought up uh, to uh, test whether the density of the grinds is actually even. Well, all the more reason to move 
through the rest of this episode quickly so you can get back to work. Yeah, um, we've got the re- the rest of the episode is is basically a bunch of uh, questions that we pulled from our Slack channel. People wanted to ask you. Hey, how is your Slack going? Because ours just turned into uh, tragedy of the commons. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. it, it's actually going really well. I, I think uh, Slack as a medium is kind of challenged because up until the beginning of this year, they didn't actually have threading enabled. Oh, um, man. And so that now we help. actually... Yeah. Yeah, so now we have threading and it becomes a lot more organized conversations are a lot more focused notifications don't pop out unless you have joined into a to a conversation which is good oh um, man that sounds way better we've, we've got about 500 or some odd uh team members now that all kind of drive it for us which is really fun um nowhere near obviously the level of uh of the facebook group that barista hustle has but yeah, it's great. No, um, man, like I, you don't want more than that. We had a couple of thousand in our Slack when we when we started it, and it was just noise. And the, you know, then yeah. there were a couple of people that would ask too many questions and not contribute enough, and then the valuable people got turned away because they felt like they were just being drained. Like there wasn't enough sure. two there wasn't enough two way value being generated for everyone. And then in the end, the people who wanted the information ended up killing it for themselves. Um, and that's hard to moderate, you know, it's really difficult to yeah. moderate that kind of stuff. So we kind of, yeah, we let it go by the wayside, unfortunately. So I'm glad yours is working out. Yeah, it seems to be pretty, pretty well, great so far. Yeah, we, so. Can, we can judge the quality of it by these questions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I will be the judge so, of that. <laughs> so we let, we let our listeners in on a little bit of info that you're going to be on the show, and they posted some questions. Uh, so if you just want to run through them rapid fire as possible, you don't have to go into super gory detail unless you actually want to. Um, we'll, we'll make our way through these. So, what are your current favorite grinders? Well, roller mills, uh, for one. <laughs> um, that's not really accessible for a home user. Uh, <laughs> it's still the old AK-43. It might be 30 years old, but still got it. Still got it. I see people online complaining that they don't get one shipped with your face on it anymore. No, no, no. That my um my relationship with that that level of the relationship with Malconic um, ended because I wanted to be really involved in the development of new products, um, but they didn't really want me to be involved in that development. You know, and if I do in, if I do deals with companies like endorsementy kind of deals, I never want it to just be a face on a thing. I, I actually want to be involved in the pushing it forward and development and you know um, sinking my teeth into it and making it better and owning it. And that, that side of that relationship just wasn't really happening. So um, we kind of parted ways. And that's cool. I'm not an engineer. Like their engineering team is skeptical that a barista could help them out. That's, that's totally understandable. So where do coffee professionals fit in an automated world? Oh, man. All right. I'll try and, I'll try and squeeze this one out as quickly as I can. I, uh, automation is happening. It's going to happen. Full stop. Uh, but there is going to be a, uh, I guess, a fork in the road, a dichotomy of sorts, uh, where there will be lots of businesses who automate and use that uh, to uh, cheapen is, a, is probably a bad word, but um, they're going to use it to eliminate labor and eliminate service uh, requirements. So in other words, reduce labor costs so that they can either increase margins or reduce uh, the cost, the unit cost to the customer to make it more enticing. 
that's going to happen. It's already started happening with kiosks, with automated um, things, etc., etc. The other road is going to be the rebellion, just like Specialty Coffee was a rebellion uh, to uh, super automation. Uh, sorry, to second wave. There's going to be a bunch of people that will go, "Hey, we're not going to use this automation to make uh, everything cheaper and simpler. We're going to use it to um, leverage." higher quality and better service and a higher unit cost because we can finally deliver on our promises. So I think there's going to be a lot of venues that utilize super automation for the drudgery and then rely on humans for the emotional labor of customer service, sharing knowledge, delivering uh, really uh, exceptional experiences to customers. And that's going, that's going to cost more and it's going to be niche. It's going to be way more niche than specialty is now because it's going to be more expensive. Uh, so I, I don't know whether it'll be, you know, 10% of the current specialty industry will choose to, to take that route. I don't know if it's 1%. I don't know if it might, it might not even happen. But I do know that there's uh, this really cool profession called sommeliers and all they do is pop a cork, but their salaries are higher, the respect is higher, their level of knowledge is higher and the satisfaction of their guests and the delivery of their promises happens so much more often than baristas do right now that I just, there's this, uh, there's this part of me that just wants that for baristas. I want there to be baristas that just crush it and deliver these amazing experiences for people that we've never really been able to before because we've been so focused on tapping and you know, moving shot collars, uh, moving grind collars on grinders. <laughs> oh man, I want that so bad. Never thought about that. Opening up, op- freeing them up to be able to offer even better service. Yeah, but yeah, I, like, it, right. It's 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 just a factory line at the moment in specialty venues. Like you, you really shouldn't attach your professional worth to repetitive motions and and think of removing those um, repetitive boring algorithmic motions uh, that shouldn't be a threat that they're being removed it should be a liberation so that you can focus on other things to improve the experience for your guests all right where where's superlatives going well at at the moment this whole pod thing that i was talking about before the single serve thing um that will be we'll be putting more details about out about that soon the reason that came about is because i've been so damn frustrated with getting fresh coffee to everyone every month in all these countries. This, this is like the biggest scratch my own itch project. Uh, <laughs> so the subscription was a scratch my own itch project because I wanted to taste good coffee from around the world every month and I didn't want to think about it. So then I built a subscription service um, so that we could have delicious coffee every month from a different roaster. And that was good for a lot of other people. And then I was like, man, it's really hard to get coffee around the world to all these people fresh. It's really hard to know that they're making it well. You know, sometimes I think the coffee's good and then someone else says it's bad. Is it their grinder? Is it their machine? What's wrong? So this single serve project I'm seeing will make the subscription redundant eventually. Hmm. Uh, Because we'll be able to get so much better coffee, so much fresher um, in a a consistent form factor to all of these humans. And it will end up, the end result will be better for all these people as well. Um, so that's where I'm seeing the subscription going eventually uh, in terms of both espresso and uh, for filter drip style coffee. What 
is your favorite Justin Timberlake song? <laughs> um, this one actually probably came from Brian. I did not put this in there. I no, did not. I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean, Dick in a Box is funny. But does that, <laughs> but, but, but does that count as a JT song? It absolutely um, counts. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, then that and all of the novelty songs that he does. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think him branching into uh, like those novelty songs and keeping it funny and keeping it real um, instead of being the untouchable uh, celebrity, uh, I really appreciate. <laughs> That's awesome. What is your biggest coffee slash coffee shop pet peeves? Ooh, um, Scott Rao released a little article a couple of days ago about unbalanced coffee. So I'll let him have that um, podium for this week, uh, you know, in terms of really light roasts, uh, not actually being delicious. So that's, that's always a pet peeve. I hate under roasted coffee with a passion uh, and it's just endemic, pandemic, endemic. I always mix those two up. One of those two in, special, in specialty. Um, another pet peeve is bars that have gone down the specialty science road so far that there's no more human, there's no more vibe in, in there anymore. Um, cafe vibe is so key. You know, you walk into a cafe and you just know straight away if it's like this sterile, empty space um, that's more like an, like a, an art gallery or something. Anyway, even art galleries have more vibe than some of these cafes. Um, uh, and some of these art galleries are cafes. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, just vibes. You know, it doesn't need to be... People are comfy when they feel homey, you know? I, I love walking into our league because it's grungy. And it's, it's like an old warehouse and it's kind of dirty, to be honest. And it's, um, you know, there's random stuff everywhere and it's not organized and it's good vibes it's, it's sweet vibes in there and I just want to keep coming back to cafes that have nice vibes so so you talk about the, the premise being helping the world make better coffee so currently what is your top recommendation for people to step up their home brewing game water ooh you, yeah, y'all released it. just released a, a new video about yeah water. yeah we're harp, we're harping on about that at the moment because the more we look like for a good ten years I was under um, ignorance is bliss with water and uh, Michael has convinced me that we need to tackle it head on and so we're tackling it head on and we're trying to help people figure out how to fix their water situation once you taste. You know, water that isn't dialed in for a coffee and water that is dialed in for a coffee, side by side, you will never go back. Right. If you're looking for the 20% of effort that will give you 80% results, it's not in the grinder. You know, it was in the grinder uh, until we realized that the water um, also has an effect. If you're using water that isn't what the roaster was using to dial in that roast, or, you know, even just roughly close, coffees can be terrible awful, disgusting, and then you fix the water, and they're incredible. Like night and day, chalk and cheese, whatever analogy you want to use, uh, it, water is just key, super, super, super key. 
And so we built this thing, um, or, or Michael, sorry, pretty much just Michael, developed this thing where, uh, this technique where you make two concentrates of uh, 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 chemicals that go into water, to keep it simple. And uh, he designed it so that you can really easily uh, change the components uh, in, into your water. So you can sort of say, I want to have more mineral and I want to have less buffer. And so you just sort of add them to a liter of water and subtract however much you added from the liter. And however much you added in grams is the number of milligrams per liter. So he, he made it really smart and really easy for people to start experimenting with their water and actually understanding it. And I would highly recommend going out, getting some distilled, deionized pure water or whatever you have access to. Some bicarb and some Epsom salts. Don't worry about them not being food grade. They're not food grade because you're not supposed to actually just eat Epsom salts. Uh, <laughs> but you're using them in such minuscule amounts in these concentration, in, in, in these uh, concentrates and then in the eventual, eventual water that it's totally fine. Mind blown. Mind blown. I mean, that's one thing I noticed coming after competition, after competition where I was fiddling a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot with water. And then I came home and every cough, I just used whatever I had at the house um, after competition because I, I, I wasn't in competition mode anymore. And every coffee I brewed tasted horrible. Or, I, I mean, I did this for like three months. So oh, I, I, would, I'm, I would love to know. I would love to like switch on God mode and learn how many A, samples of roasted coffee have been rejected because the water was wrong, B, baristas who got so frustrated that they quit or like have started bagging out a roastery or a particular um, coffee from a particular area because they, they weren't using the right water, how many home consumers have been you know, left feeling really lackluster and sad about brewing coffee because their water wasn't right? Like, we're going back to square one here once we once you see how important water is. I would love to know because it's probably staggering. Yeah, my biggest example of that, at least personally, I, Brian knows the story too, we've talked about it, was um, a coffee I had from Coffee Collective. It was their Esmeralda Geisha and I was brewing it under normal parameters that I would do brew-wise, but with relatively still good water, stuff that we'd use in the shop or something like that. Uh, no, because it was back in Dallas, but with some sort of filtered water and it was horrible it was not even flat isn't even the right word to describe it it just was it was just terrible i asked them what type of water you use it was a very low um ppm like around 30 or something 20 or yeah. 30 or somewhere 20 to 40 so i went and got uh i think voss water because it's the closest that we have here that we can get and it was it was a completely different cup with all the floral all the sweetness everything there and so I, the last couple of years, I've been a firm, firm believer in that. And it, and that, but it's also, what's what's tricky is because you're saying that's the top recommendation for people to step up, but it's also the hardest thing to convince people that you need to change this because it seems like you're just slapping them in the face by saying even their water is not good. So it's it seems like it's been a challenge at the same time, but when you yeah. get into it, it makes enormous differences yeah and it's, it's something that i need to address and need to fix for this single serve stuff that we're working towards it needs to be just as easy you know you can't have people measuring up you know, concentrations in their kitchen they're not going to do it uh but for the for the geeks out there who can put the effort in super key super super key like poor copenhagen their tap water is something ridiculous like 1200 ppm 
Like you can, stand, you can stand a spoon up in their, in, their tap, in their tap water. So they're all using RO units. So then when they export their coffee to other countries, they're, like they're roasting and cupping to reverse osmosis at 30 ppm. And then when they send that out to other countries, it tastes really bad. Um, so you know, there's probably a lot of people that have a bad opinion of Coffee Collective uh, because they're not using the right water. But Coffee Collective's coffee on that water are sensational. All right, last one. Speaking of sensational, uh, what would you say is your top favorite coffee ever slash at least one that you can remember? When I teach people about refractometry and extraction stuff, I always ask them, has anyone here ever had a coffee that was too sweet and nobody ever puts up their hand? <laughs> it's pretty much never going to happen because we're just chasing sweetness all the time. Coffee's never sweet enough. Um, there was one coffee that I've ever had where I was like, hmm, this is sweet enough. This is really sweet. And it was a four and a half minute sample roast of a random Honduran cup of excellence uh, sample roast. Uh, so we were doing the Honduran cup of excellence cupping and we just roasted them randomly. And we went down the cupping table and it was like number 18. You know, it wasn't number one or number two, it was some random number. And it was really delicious in the cupping bowl. And this was just when we were um, futzing around with coffee shots, which is where you would brew a filter coffee through an espresso machine. So same ratio as a pour over, except through a filter basket, like a, in, in a, an espresso basket in an espresso machine. Takes about 45 seconds to extract. And I was like, oh yeah, that's probably a good candidate for uh, old mate coffee shot. So we just biffed it through the grinder random grind setting, chuck it in the machine, put a Hario kettle, uh, like a Hario jug underneath, and I just randomly stopped the shot when it looked like it had enough water uh, in the jug. And holy moly, that was really good. It was like a musket. Um, what's, uh, what, what would be the, is, is musket a familiar wine term in the rest of the world, or is that just Australian? Yeah. No, like like fortified, fortified wine, sweet. Yeah fortified wine, like uh, grapes that had shriveled up over many years. Uh, just super, super nice. And I, and I love, like, you know, how technical I always profess things need to be and how random that was. I love that discrepancy. It's great. <laughs> Keep, keeps, it, keeps it humble. Keeps it, <laughs> keeps me guessing. All right, Matt. We very much appreciate you taking the time to talk with us uh, this yeah. morning for you, this evening for us. And I feel like a, so many things we got into could, could be separate episodes on their own. But regardless, thank you for everything you've shared with us today. And if, if folks wanted to find you or find Barista Hustle online, where can they go? How can they find you? So I'm pretty active in our Facebook group. We've got a big Facebook group with about 18,000 people in there. And we have a group of moderators that accept questions that are good uh, and um, we think will generate good discussion. I'm pretty active in there. Uh, so I don't manage the group uh, because Michelle's doing a great job of that. But that means that I have more time to just hang out in the comments and lurk and and do things. Um, I'm on the old Instagrams as at Matt Perger. And uh, I try not to have too much more surface area than that because there's a lot of um, people in the community and I could spend forever um, talking um, on all the different platforms. but. We're kind of busy at the moment. So, um, yeah, that, that Facebook group and, and Instagram are probably the best places to, um, to get in touch. 
and obviously just all the rest of barista hustle things um, uh, uh, I'm behind somehow well thank you again so much for taking the time to be with us it's been great thanks guys it's been great I've enjoyed it awesome well we want to say a big thanks again to Espresso Parts for sponsoring the show Espresso Parts has got you covered no matter who you are no matter what you're looking for they've got thousands of products from hundreds of the top brands free shipping on all their parts a free 365 day return policy their customer service is awesome. And oh, by the way, they even have the Crove Sifter that we talked about on our last episode. Go check it out. Use the discount code IBMOC5 at checkout. That's IBMOC5 to save 5% off your order. You can find us on Instagram at iBrewMyOwnCoffee. You can find us on Twitter at BrewMyOwnCoffee. You can check out our website at iBrewMyOwnCoffee.com. Slash 58 is where you'll find the episode notes for this show. If you want to send us a message, click the contact us link at the top of the page. If you want to join up on our Slack team, go to ibrewmailcoffee.com slash Slack and sign up for an invitation. And if you want to sign up for our recommends email newsletter, go to ibrewmailcoffee.com slash recommends and uh, get signed up and we'll send you all of our favorite coffees. Thanks once again, everybody, for tuning in. Until next episode, happy hustling, everybody. So long, everyone.